Church, if you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Samuel, and we're going to be in chapter 18 this week. We're continuing our After God's Own Heart series. And I want to start today by telling you a story from the book Courageous Leadership by Bill Hybels. And he tells a story about his sailboat. Now, he has a sailboat, and it's a decent-sized sailboat, but when it's on the water, he said it looks kind of small, but it's a decent-sized sailboat. And when you're on it, you feel like you can really conquer the water. And every year, him and his crew take the sailboat to different harbors, and they take it by water to different locations for parties and whatnot. And he says sometimes when you're on the Great Lakes traveling by sailboat, you come across some unfortunate weather. And he says, when you're out there on, that, on those lakes, you know, we hear Great Lakes and we don't think of storms like the oceans, but if you've ever had the opportunity to visit the Great Lakes, you know that the storms on there are very, can be very devastating. They're very, they're very large, the waves and things. And he says, sometimes he runs into storms along those journeys. And he said, more than once, he wondered if he was going to make it. He says, when you're on a sailboat and those waves start crashing and the storm and the thunder and the lightning and the rain's pouring down and you're doing everything you can to steer that boat, he says, sometimes you just, you don't know if you're going to make it. He says, until he realizes or reminds himself of another perspective. You see, Bill got his pilot's license when he was a teenager and he said that he has flown over Lake Michigan many times. And he says when you're flying across the lake, it gives you quite a different perspective. He says because if you're high enough, you can see the entire lake. He says you can see from shore to shore. You can see the the different harbors. And he says when you're in the boat on Lake Michigan, those ugly conditions, he tries to put himself into the pilot's perspective. He says to himself, from up here, the other coastline is already visible. He says, from up here, I can see the harbor and it's clear view. He says, up here, he looks down on those waves and he says, the waves, they seem manageable. But he says, when you're in it, when you're on those waters, it's a little bit different, right? When you're actually in the mix of it, he says, it's a lot different. It's a different perspective. So what he says is, I have to put myself, when I'm in that boat on those storms, I have to put myself in that pilot's cockpit looking down. He says, because when I'm in the storms, I can't see the shoreline. I can't see the harbor. But if I remind myself, if I remind myself that the harbor is just right there and I can see it, he says, I can persevere through it. This is what he wrote. He says, believe it or not, with that viewpoint in mind, I can hang in there. He says, I can keep going. I can believe that I'm going to make it, providing, listen to this, providing that I persevere, providing that I keep pushing, providing that I don't quit, provided that though the waves are large and scary, I keep my eyes set on the prize, on the goal, and I keep moving forward. He says, I need that other perspective to give me hope and renewed determination. In church, 
the truth of, of the matter is, and I, I don't like making broad assumptions because we make broad assumptions, I, I leave somebody out, right? I, I exclude someone. I don't want to be exclusive. However, this is a broad assumption that I'm going to make because I, I truly believe that all of us face fears, right? Every single person in this congregation, every single person listening in, we all have fears that we have to face. All of us go through troubles. All of us face trials. All of us face obstacles. We face struggles in our life. And during those struggles, it can feel like we are in that, that small boat in the middle of a storm, right? Just trying to survive. You don't have to raise your hand here, but how many of us have ever felt like that? Where we are just in the middle of the great lake, the waves are crashing, the thunder's cracking, the, the lightning striking, it's pouring the rain, and your boat's filling up, and it, you just sit back and think, how am I going to survive this? How many of us have been in that situation before in life? The help's not here. The finances aren't here. I can't see the shoreline. I'm in the middle of the most devastating thing I've ever went through. I can't see the harbor. I can't, I can't put myself in that cockpit. All I can see is the storm. And it causes us to feel like quitting. It causes us to feel like giving up, right? It causes us to feel like abandoning our mission. How many of us have been there, church? How many of us have been in that place where we just say, Pastor, I get you preach hope, you preach salvation, you preach all this stuff, but boy, if you, if you were there with me, you'd see how devastating it was. We've been there, right, church? We've all been in those moments. But today's sermon isn't about those moments. I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want today's sermon to be a sermon of of doom and despair. I always like to give the bad news first, and then I like to give the hope. And especially after a worship uh, set like that, where it's singing about how amazing God is, the preacher gets up here and talks about doom and gloom as kind of puts a damper on the service, right? But what I want to do is I want to give you guys some hope. When you leave here today, I want you to leave here encouraged. Lean to your neighbor and say, you're going to leave here encouraged today. Because I want us all to leave here energized knowing that God is in control. So lean to your other neighbor and say, God is in control. But here's the thing, though. I want you to leave encouraged, and I want you to understand that God is in control. But I also want you to understand that you have a part to play. Lean to your neighbor again and say, you have a part to play in this. All of us have a part to play in this, and this is what it is. Church, listen to me. God is calling us to persevere. God is calling us to be brave, and God is calling us to be courageous. And I want you to know right now that every single one of you have it in you to be courageous, even in the face of trials, tribulations, and storms. All of you have it in you. In the face of terrible odds, in the face of terrible trouble, God has called us to be courageous, to stand strong. And listen to this. This is the key. You ready for this? To lean on Him. I'm going to go, before we dive into the scripture today and talk about King David, a man after God's own heart, we cannot fully understand what it means to be courageous until we understand what it means to lean on God. I was reading this week about courage and bravery, and there was an interesting take on it. And it said this, courage is not limited to the battlefield. That caught my attention right away. 
I said, okay, I'm going to keep reading this author. What, what does he mean? He says, courage is not limited to the battlefield or bravely catching a thief in your house. The author said, the real tests of courage are much deeper and much quieter. Said, the real test of courage are the inner tests, like remaining faithful when no one's looking, like enduring pain when the room is empty, like standing alone when you're misunderstood. So those are the true tests of courage. You see, oftentimes when we view courage, especially in modern day, we see the pictures, right? We, we see the big, strong warrior all decked out in the modern tactical gear with all the guns, with the helmet, the, the goggles, the mask, the vest, all the, the right uniforms, and they're standing toe-to-toe with the enemy. They're willing to face the danger. That's, that's our view of courage. However, the truth is, and I want you to hear this, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you look like, regardless of, of who you used to be, church, I want you to hear it this morning. You too can be courageous. You see, it's not always about the physical attributes. It's not always about the warrior going to battle. You and I, we can be courageous. We can be bold. You see, courageous, the, the, the courageous are those who are willing to persevere even when the battle seems lost. The courageous are those who see the storm, who are in the midst of the waves and say, I'm not going to quit because I know who holds the battle. Remember the battle between David and Goliath? What did David say? The battle is the Lord's. Everyone say that with me. The battle is the Lord's. You see, the courageous are those who stand strong no matter what enemy they're facing, no matter what they're going through, to say, I'm going to stand tall because I know who the battle belongs to. The battle is the Lord's. And so if we're going to have a heart after God's own heart, if we're going to model after David, and if we're going to be people who model after God, then we need to have, and that's why I titled it this way, a courageous love. We need to have a courageous love. After looking at last week's story of David and Goliath, we come to a very interesting part of the story of David. So far, we have seen David's boldness and courage, right? We've seen his willingness to stand up and face the giant named Goliath. But interestingly, because a lot of times when we, when we read a story like that, right, we think that they were fearless, that they, they, were, they were these amazing people that they're far better than me. I, I couldn't do that. But the reality is David was not fearless. Now, I know that kind of goes against what we talked about, but, but he wasn't. He was not fearless. In the child's movie, The Good Dinosaur, who here has ever seen that movie, The Good Dinosaur? Anybody? Okay, select few of you. But The Good Dinosaur is a, is, is a little fun movie about a dinosaur setting in the, uh, in the Old West. And so they were like cowboys and things like that. And so there's a little dinosaur, and his name is Arlo. And in that movie, he, he got lost from home. He just lost his father. Now he's on this journey back to home. And in the movie, he comes across a group of T-Rex. Now, T-Rex are much bigger than him, much stronger than him. And to him, that's the sign of bravery. And Arlo sees the T-Rex in action, and he's sitting there on this rock, and he's looking at him like, I want to be like that. And after the fight's over, they're sitting around this campfire, and the T-Rex are telling all these, these battle stories and things. And Arlo looks up at him and says, I'm done being scared. I'm going to be brave now. 
And there's a, there's a line that the father T-Rex says that always caught my attention. I absolutely love it. He says, if you ain't scared, you ain't alive. I know that's not proper grammar, but that's always caught my attention. He says, if you ain't scared, then you ain't alive. And as we read through the book of Psalms, there's, there's many instances where David admits his fear. You see, David wasn't fearless. As a matter of fact, sometimes he is so fearful that it's almost debilitating. We see this in Psalm 55, verse 5, where he says, fear and trembling overwhelm me. He says, I can't stop shaking. He owns his fear. He says, I am fearful. He says, it overwhelms me. The trembling overtakes me. I can't stop shaking. The fear is here. The fear is real. What am I going to do? You see, church, fear is not what characterizes bravery. Listen to this. The boldness in the midst of fear is bravery. Boldness in the midst of fear is what bravery is. That's what courage is. And so God uses David's boldness, his willingness to step up and say, you know what, I get it, I'm afraid, but I'm going to stand with God and I'm going to conquer this anyway. I'm going to face this giant. I'm going, to, I'm going to become a brave and mighty warrior through God. And so David becomes so successful in his military campaigns. And if you go to 1 Samuel 18, verse 7, listen to what it says there. They're singing songs about him. They're praising him. They say Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And so you have King Saul who has, who has gone to war, who has gone to battle, and he's killed his thousands. And according to the poets and the, and the songwriters of the day, they say, David, his ten thousands. And church, that don't sit well with King Saul. You see, King Saul, he, he doesn't like that. He says, how can they question me? How can they, how can they say he's killed ten thousands and me only thousands? And so Saul, well, Saul being Saul, he becomes very angry, he becomes very jealous, and his mood sours quickly, and his jealousy so overtakes him, listen to this church, that he tries to kill David. He tries to kill him. His anger and his, and his jealousy is so powerful in that moment that he throws spears at David. He says, I'm going to pin him against the wall. It says David's just sitting there playing his harp and kind of confuses what's going on because David's the next anointed king and he's doing what the, what the king has asked of him and he's going to battle, he's going to war, he's doing all these things and all of a sudden this king now wants to kill him. How many of us, if we're being totally honest, if someone tried to kill you, would stick around that situation? Put, put yourself in that perspective for a second. Imagine you go to work tomorrow and your boss looks at you and says, I'm going to pin you to the wall and throw something at you. <laughs> How many of you are going to say, this is going to be a good day. I'm going to stick around this place. Man, I'm so glad to work for you. This is, this is awesome. Or, or, or if your spouse, you come home and your spouse starts throwing stuff at you and says, I'm going to kill you. Are you going to say, I love you too, honey? Now, how many of us, if somebody tried to kill us and said, I'm going to get out of this situation, I'm going to leave right now because I don't want to be murdered, I would say probably every single one of us are going to look at that situation and say, I should probably hightail it out of there. However, what does David do? It's interesting. 
You see, David understood his mission. David understood what he's been called to do. And David stays around. How many of us having a spear thrown at our head while we're just simply doing what we love to do, hanging out, and we look up and there's a spear coming towards us. How many of us, and the thing is, it wasn't just once, by the way. It was multiple times that Saul tried to kill him. So David has now, David has now just killed Goliath. He's now faced the giant. He's gone to war. He's now becoming a warrior through the strength of God. And now the king that he is now serving is trying to kill him. A lot of us would hightail it out of there. However, David says, I, I, know what I'm, I know what I've been called to do. I've got to stick this out. I've got to keep moving forward. And then Saul makes David a commander of a thousand men. And God gives David and his men great victory. And once again, Saul is upset. But he's also fearful because he has come to know the reason for David's success. Saul knows why David is so victorious. Saul knows what's happening. And so go with me to 1 Samuel 18, verse 14. Look what it says there. This is why David is so successful and has so much courage in the face of any enemy. It says, David continued to succeed in everything he did. Listen to this. Because the Lord was with him. Highlight that, bold that, underline it, do whatever you need to do, but make sure you catch that last part of that sentence. Because the Lord was with him. Because God was with him, he was over, able to overcome and conquer everything. You see, we read the story of David and we think he's a pretty great guy. He's, he's, he's an amazing man. He's soon to be the king and he's brave and he's a courageous warrior. But where does the courage come from, church? You see, a lot of times in this story, when we read these things and how David was able to stick it out and how David was able to overcome all these people, we, we look at David, right? We say, what a great man he was. What an amazing warrior he was. But the problem is, is we're looking at the wrong source. Now, I'm not saying don't model after David. He was a man after God's own heart. But, but the problem is, is we're looking at the wrong source. Our focus must be on the God who made David great. That's where we should be focusing on. That's where we should be looking at. It's not David necessarily. Now, granted, now granted we, we should focus on David because he was a great warrior. However, what made him great? What was his source? Well, it was God. David was not a mighty warrior because of his own strength and power, but because of God's strength and power. So instead of thinking, listen to me, instead of thinking, I wish I was bold and brave like David, right? Because <clears throat> when we see these people, when you watch war movies or you watch movies of, of, of heroes and people that overcome things, we think, I want to be like that, right? So me and Ashley this week, we were watching a movie about a Medal of Honor winner. And if you read anything about Medal of Honor winners, it's the highest award any military person can get. What we have a tendency to think is, man, I wish I was brave like that. Do you, though? Because do you know what it takes to earn that medal? We think, I want to be bold like that. I want to be brave like that. But, but how many of us will actually want to do what they had to do to get that? So here's what we need to do. Instead of saying, I want to be bold and brave like David, what we need to say instead is, I want to know and trust God the way that David knew and trusted God. Because all of us are going to face situations like that, right? We, we, we talked about it in the beginning of the sermon. We're all going to face trials. We're all going to face things. And, and, and when we're in the midst of it, when we try to do it in our own strength, we think, I'm not brave like them. No, you are courageous like them. But you're putting your bravery and your courage in the wrong sources, how many of us are acting like David and we're putting our, our, our knowledge, our trust, and our wisdom and our strength in God? 
Instead of saying, I want to be bold and brave like David, we need to say, I need to know and trust God the way that David did. You see, in order to be brave and courageous, we need to have courageous love for God. That's what made David stand apart, guys, was his courageous love for God. The Lord was with him. Why? Because David never left God. He said, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to be with God, and God's going to give me his courage. And so what does this mean to have a courageous love? Well, it's really quite simple. The first is this. It's faith in God no matter the circumstance, church. This goes back to last week's sermon where we talked about David's unwavering faith. Because it's easy, it's so easy to have faith in God when things are going right, isn't it? Oh, when the money is there, when the people are there, when, when everything seems to be going perfect and everything's going super smooth, you wake up on Monday morning, the coffee just hits right and you have a great breakfast. You look at your bank account, you're like, man, I, got a little, I didn't spend as much this weekend as I thought I did. And then you get to work and everyone's chipper, everyone's happy and everything seems to be going hunky-dunky and perfect. Every, oh, God is so good, amen. But then you wake up on Tuesday and you realize the bank made a mistake, your coffee tastes a little more bitter than usual, and things just aren't as great. The question then is, are you going to have the same faith and give God all the glory like you did when everything was going great? You see, church, what happens when the finances aren't there? What happens when the people aren't there? What happens when you feel like you're completely alone? We give God all the glory when things are going great, but, but do we still give God the same glory? Do we still trust in him when things seem to be going crazy? Like I'm on my boat again, the storm finally hit. Am I still trusting God the same as I did when things were going good? Because when we read biblical stories, a lot of times we look at them in hindsight, right? We don't put ourselves into the story. I want to be like David. Really? Do you really want to face what he faced? He faced Goliath, the number one warrior in the Philistine army, guys. The number one warrior. I guarantee you, no one in this sanctuary right now wants to go toe-to-toe with Goliath. I don't. Maybe, again, broad assumption. Maybe you do. I'm not going hand-to-hand with him. David faced being murdered. Saul tried to kill him on multiple occasions, and it doesn't end in this story either. Saul continues to pursue David. Saul wants him dead. How many of us sit here and say, yes, I want to be murdered? Or at least I want someone to try to attempt to murder me, Pastor. Hallelujah. We want to be like David, but how many of us want to be put in that situation? You see, David went to war time and time and time and time again. He faced enemy after enemy, battle after battle. And we say, I want to be brave like David. But church, do we know where he got it from? You see, things weren't always perfect for him. He, He experienced, he saw death, he experienced hate. He knows what it means to be alone. But listen to this. This is what made David stand apart. Instead of burying his head in the sand, sand, he stood tall. He knew that he was anointed by God, and he had faith that God would not abandon him, church. We've got to stop saying, I want to be brave like David, and we've got to start saying, I want to have faith like David in God, because I know that no matter what the circumstance is, God's going to see me through. You want to be brave like David? Then have faith like David. Faith in God that no matter the circumstance, I know that God's going to take care of me. Knowing that no matter what happens, even if it means death, I'm going to spend an eternity with him. God's got me, 
no matter what happens, no matter the outcome. You see, in order to live after God's own heart, we must courageously stand tall and hold to our faith no matter the circumstance, no matter what's happening. We must hold to our faith and trust in God. Well, how do we do that, church? How do we have this unwavering faith? Well, it comes down to this. We must have an unwavering love for God. Do we love God more than we love ourselves, church? Is it all about me? Or is it all about him? You see, one of the things I love most about David is his love for God. Plain and simple. And one of the things we're going to be talking about next week is David, he had his weak areas of life. He wasn't perfect. And all of us do, right? Every one of us have the areas that we're, that we're weak in. Well, so did he. He was just a man. King David, yeah, he was a man. He put his pants on like we do. But what set David apart, I believe, was his love for God. Even though David sinned, even though he made mistakes, David still loved God. He always came back to God. He owned his mistakes. And we see the contrast so clearly between David and Saul. Both men sinned, but it was David's heart that was crushed when he was confronted about his sin. What was his response? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, he says, I have sinned against God. I have sinned against the Lord. He owned his mistakes. He knew what he did. And he had such a love for God that he said, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to come back to you. He didn't leave it sit. He didn't leave. You see, in order to have this unwavering faith, we must have an unwavering love. And well, how do we do that? Well, church, it's really quite simple. It's not as complicated as you think. We've got to get to know God. You have to get to know him. You see, the more you know him, the easier it is for you to love him. It's just as with any human relationship. You see, when we, when, we have, uh, when we know the deeper intricacies of a person, it is easier and it helps us to appreciate and love them more. And so what does this mean for God? Well, at the core, loving God means to put him first in every area of our lives. We can't leave anything away from God. You see, so often, I've heard other preachers use this and I love it. We treat God like a vending machine. He's in the corner and I only go to him when I need something, Right? And we say, God, you can have every other area of my life, but don't touch this area. And God said, no, I need your entire life. I need you to love me more than you love yourself. And so when we pair an unwavering faith with God, with an unwavering love for him, we will then develop a courageous heart that will stand with God no matter the circumstance. These two cannot be separate from each other. We, we got to love God more than we love ourselves. Meaning when we are in the, in the boat of life and the waves begin to crash against us, we will have a newfound perspective. Church, listen to me. We will understand that even though I can't see the shoreline, God does and he is going to protect me and he is going to guide me. David didn't know the future, but he faced the battles anyway. He didn't know the outcome, but he went anyway. He couldn't see the shoreline. But here he is facing Goliath, facing being murdered, going to war, going to battle, facing enemy after enemy. He didn't know the outcome. He didn't know the future. But why was he brave enough to do it? Because he had a courageous love for God. He trusted God. He had faith in God. And he loved God more than himself. He was willing to say, I'm gonna, I know who holds the future, and I'm going to go ahead anyways because the battle is the Lord's. It's God's, and I know he holds the future, and he's going to take care of me no matter the outcome because his wisdom is far greater than any wisdom that I have. He's going to take care of me. Church, when we face trials, 
when we face hardships, when we face the fears of this life, if we go at them in our own strength, if we go at them in our own power, the evils of this world will overtake us every single time. But if we face the battles of life with a courageous love for God, knowing that we are in his hands, church, we will be able to face whatever comes against us because we know that God is with us. Amen. As the worship team comes again to lead us, I told you, church, I wanted you to leave encouraged, right? That was the whole point of this sermon, was to leave encouraged. And so I want you to leave here today knowing that the battles will come and the hard times will be there. That's encouraging, isn't it? But church, listen, I can't promise you everything's going to be perfect because it's not. But this I can promise you, that if you have an unwavering faith and a courageous love for God, there is no enemy that can stand against you because the Lord Almighty, our God, is with you. That's the encouragement. That's the hope that we have. That even when the hard times come, even when the giants are facing us, even when people are trying to attack us, if we cling to an unwavering faith in Him and we love Him more than ourselves, listen, we will be able to conquer everything that comes our way. And so I want you to leave here today ready to face these battles, knowing that God is with you. Amen. Stand your feet with us one more time. Let's sing that again.
God's already there. He's already fighting these battles for us. And he just asks us to hold bravely to him. Lean on him for your strength and comfort. Bow your heads with me. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I don't know the hearts of the people here, but you do. Lord, you know what they're facing. You know the battles that they're enduring. And Lord, we pray that you give them the strength to persevere no matter the situation. Give them the strength to hold on to you knowing that you are fighting that battle for them and with them. So Lord, just continue to encourage them and give them your courage right now. And Lord, as we enter into a time that we call the church elections, Lord, I pray that you guide our hearts, allow us to be in the center of your will, help us, Lord, to be good stewards of everything you've given us. Help us right now to make the right decisions. And it's in your glorious name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. We're going to give you about five to ten minutes. And if you're staying for the church elections and you're a voting member, we ask that you sit on this side of the sanctuary. God bless you guys. I love you.